Thank you. So last week we were taking a look, and during this expository teaching on on First John, we were taking a look uh, at what John was imploring us to do, which is to test the spirits. Test the spirits. And why test the spirits? Because there are bad spirits. So John says in this letter to the church, he says, hey, listen, test the spirits to see if they're of God or of the, of the devil, the Antichrist, he calls it. And so, and so he says in this letter that many Antichrists have come. That's the little Antichrist. That's the agents of Satan that are in the world. And many have come. And, of course, that's who he was talking about in this letter is the Antichrist that had come and had separated the church, had pulled it apart. And, and so it was a, a very difficult time. And he says, so test, test the spirits. And so he gave them some opportunities in terms of how to do those tests. Do you remember what that was? What is the one test of whether or not a spirit is of God or the Antichrist? Acknowledging the acknowledging that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh, because of course that was clearly what he was uh, admonishing those people uh, for, for declaring that of course Jesus hadn't come in the flesh, and uh, so it's it's really rather powerful, but frankly quite simple. Just test the spirits to see if, if they're of God. And don't forget that he reminded them regularly to not forget what they had been told from the beginning. And so, as we, uh, a few centuries later, understand that we have what they were told in writing from the beginning. It's the same thing. And so... Uh, we know that John came to this letter with lots of credibility because he was an eyewitness. And so I can just imagine that they were at church and they were listening as the scribe was reading this letter. And they were pretty much on the edge of their seat because it came with, with the power of the spirit and the power of the credibility of who John was. An eyewitness hanging with Jesus. And so, anytime you want to get a pretty good idea of what happened somewhere, try to do it not from a third party. Try to get it from somebody who was there, who actually witnessed what was going on. And that's, of course, where this was coming from. So now, John is going to kind of change the pace just a little bit. Because he was talking about testing these spirits, these spirits that had been... Uh, that had frankly infiltrated the church and the reason that they had separated and the reason that there was so much confusion was because they hadn't tested the spirits. And so, so now we're at this place in the letter where John puts on that loving pastoral tone again in the letter, uh, starting in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. And we're going to read, and by the way, the... We don't have our normal reader here tonight because if you want to, you can pray for the, for the Rollins. Both of them are pretty under the weather, so that you know. And uh, just didn't want to come and give it all to y'all. <laughs> and I thought, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I don't think you know this, Bill, but I'm Susan Rollins' stunt double. You're a stunt double. Well, then, then if that's a volunteer... <laughs> and... Uh, uh, 
You know, I could make a comment about that that I'm just not going to. <laughs> because it just it wouldn't be right. It just wouldn't be right. Well, um, follow along with Tim as he reads, because I want you to read, just powerfully read all of these verses, verses 7 through 21. And then we're going to ask some questions. There's a lot of verses here. We'll come back in an expository way and begin to... Dissect. Do you want me to roll through the whole thing? I would like you to read the whole thing and each one of us just follow along. And we're going to ask some questions about this whole section of scripture before we begin to digest it, if you will. Go ahead. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in the him and he in us. Because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we might have, we will have, confidence on the day of judgment, because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Thank you. Anyone want to take a crack at what the theme of this section of John's letter is? Love. Something about love. Something about love. I mentioned last week that, that love is mentioned 27 times, God is mentioned 28 times, and God is love. That, that statement of fact, God is love, is mentioned two times in, in, this, in this section of Scripture. So you can see how he just The church. Dear friends. He wrote this letter. He went to the church. He says, dear friends. That's directed to the church. Let us what? Love. Where have we heard that before? <clears throat> the previous verse. And a few before that. And some before that. And pretty much through the whole letter. And in fact, if you, just, you can just look back. Uh, the, the reference right behind that is, is uh, in, in the third chapter, the 11th verse. Uh, it says that this is what you heard from the beginning. That's love one another. 
And we keep going back to those, those disciples that were walking with Jesus and they were trying to figure it out, kind of like us. And they asked him, what's the most important commandments, Jesus? And you know, Jesus, of course being Jesus, knowing what their thoughts were, what did he tell them? Look, it's this way and this way, guys. If you get that right, you get that stuff right, and pretty much all the rest of this stuff is going to fall into place. It's going to fall into place. So he says here that you'd heard that from the beginning, verse verse um, uh, 11 in chapter 3, and he says, for where does love come from? Where does love come from? God says, for love comes from God. Verse 7. God is love. And verse 7 says, love comes from where? From God. All right. So where does love come from? <laughs> See, because we were sitting in this room a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about this love of God thing and, we, and the question arose, is there more than one kind of love? And of course we said yes, because being the theologians that you are, you understand there are these different types of biblical love. And is there love other than what is included in the biblical context from God? Is there another kind of love? And I'm going to remind you that that night there were probably half of the heads were going like this and the other half were going like this and some in the middle were kind of going, huh? And we're going to see that in this section of scripture, we're going to see that there is a biblical godly love and there is another love. Test the spirits. Test the spirits. I believe some of you even have a testimony to that effect. But we'll see that in a minute. So, what's the evidence that you know God? Or at least an evidence. We love God. We love each other. We love Jesus. Love. 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 Don't you love that? Don't you just love love? So here's God and he says, hey. He says, dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Hmm. Everyone who loves has been born of God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. So we're tearing these sentences apart because we got to know what it means. And so here's what John is saying. He's saying, hey, everyone who loves has been born of God. Begs the question, doesn't it? Everyone who loves, What? First of all, who's John talking to? A church, Christians, believers, followers of Jesus. And the context is in the church that was just separated. A whole bunch of them left. They left. They were, they were in the darkness because they completely denied Christ in the flesh, right? And so those spirits that were tested, had they been tested, they would have realized right away that they were pulled away from the church because... The spirit was not of God. And yet he says that if you love, you have been born of God. So everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. According to John. Born of God? What does that mean? He says God is love. That's where it comes from. 
Okay, so if God is love, and that's where it comes from, because we see that right here in verse 7 of chapter 4 in this letter, it says that we should love one another because love comes from God. Okay? And then he goes on further to say that if you love, everyone who loves has been born of God. Cool. What does that mean? What does that mean? Okay, Sally, let me ask you a question. Do you love with a biblical godly love? <laughs> well, you said yes, so according to this, you are born of God and you know God. Well, by implication, what does that mean? Because this is a letter of contrasts. He's contrasting light and dark, sin and righteousness, life and death. There's a lot of contrasts in this letter. And he says that, hey, y'all, if you've been, if you love, you've been born of God and you know God. And then what else don't they? And oh, okay. So now the implication clearly in John's letter is, is that, hey, everyone. Okay, picture this. The scribe, he unrolls it and he's reading it like this in the Greek. He's reading it in the Greek. And he's telling everybody that everyone here, church, okay, if you love one another. Because he says, hey, love one another. So from the beginning you heard this, so love one another. Okay? And if you do, you've been born of God and you know God. The implication being, flip it. Okay, but then don't wouldn't wouldn't those people that got that, that just got separated from them because they were in the darkness and they were proclaiming that they actually proclaimed that they loved God in the spirit, but they could hate you in the flesh and it was okay. That's what they proclaim. And John calls them out and says, oh, no, they're in the darkness. So, but, did, maybe those people, they were people of real flesh, just like you and me, so didn't, they probably had kids, some of them. Did they love their kids? You would, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're speculating a little bit. Okay, it's a hypothetical question. But, but you just said that if you don't love, you don't know God. Well, Boy, this love thing, he says it 27 times in this section of scripture, 28 times, and it, it really makes you think then, okay, we better understand love, shouldn't we? Okay, so turn to John, the Gospel of John. Because we need to follow up on this loving and being born of God. Because we smile, when, don't we, Brenda? I, I saw a smile on Brenda's face. Hey, if you, if, you know what? If you love, you've been born of God. Well, that's something to smile about. Until you think about the implication on the other side of that, the contrast. And so let's follow up with that born of God thing. The Gospel of John, the first chapter, verses 12 and 13. Designated reader. Yes, sir. Susan. Oh, yes. <laughs> or is there anyone say yes, dear? Um, Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, 
children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Okay. What does that mean? What, in terms of being born of God, and in terms of this love that John is talking about, is there a connection with what John and his gospel is saying here? Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Is there a connection between this born of God and the love that John is talking about? I think so. Can you put your finger on that connection? Can you, do you sense it or can you, can you identify it? <coughs> Okay, there's separate uh, separateness from a from a physical love. Okay. And it's apparently a love from God. Okay. But John called these. Here's the challenge. John called these people out. He said they're not of us. They're in the darkness. They are denying Jesus Christ. The world is full of those kinds of people. I hope that gives us a heavy heart. But he calls them out. They're not of us. So apparently they don't love like them because love comes from God. But they weren't of God. Because in testing the spirits, they got called out. No, they were not of us. They were in the darkness. But you, church, on the scroll, first, or chapters 1 and 2 of this letter, you're in the light. They are in the darkness. So apparently there's a connection. Somehow. Somehow. Because these two scriptures tell us that if we respond to God's love, because Susan, the surrogate here, when, when he read, that sounded weird. When, I'm not going to do that anymore. When Tim read this entire section of scripture, we found out that not only God is love, but that you've been born of God. That if you respond to God who loved us first. Okay. Okay. That's so why I wanted to read the whole thing because this whole thing begins to, to, to start to make sense when we, when we look at it and from an expository point of view and we see what these words mean. And there's a thought that runs through all of this section of Scripture. And it's as we respond to God's love... As you respond to it, Wes, right. you've done that. Yes. We've had long discussions about that. Responding to God's love, that response, you've been then born of God. You love because God loved you first. You responded to his love. You have then been, you are now a child of God. You have responded to that love. You now know God. You have responded to that love. You are born of God. Now, I want you to keep that thought in mind as we're talking about the kind of love that John is talking about here because we have two separate and distinct people groups that he's talking about in this letter. Those that are in the light and those that are in the darkness. Okay? But we can't get confused about love. We need to know about love because the love that he's talking about, it would appear 
so far anyway, that those that are in the darkness don't have it. Because they... It's exactly what he says in the first chapter of John. He says, he sets it all up. Jesus was in the beginning. You know, he came into the world. He brought light into the world. And it says, he came to his own, but his own received him not. But to those who did receive him, he gave the power to become the children of God. Mm. So. Yeah, and well, of course... John wrote both of these, didn't he? And so the power of the Spirit was on him and, 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 was, and was really influencing him, right? Because it's really God writing through John. It's really God writing through John. And he says that in his gospel. But just look at the next verse. Verse 8. Because this is the converse of it. Oh, remember? We're talking about contrast here. So the converse, really, of what he's talking about in verse 7 is in verse 8. Whoever does not love, he just does not know God because God is love. So how could you... Okay, that doesn't answer the question, but it does give you a distinction, doesn't it? There are those that know God because they love, and they have the love of God. And then there are the others. And he's going to get to this. So what does it mean then that God is love? It's one of his attributes. You can't help it. That's just who he is. Beautiful. <laughs> exactly right. He can't, he can't help it. I like that. So, so it is an attribute of God. And what else? If it's an attribute of God, what 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 is it then? What is an what is an attribute? It's a characteristic of His. Yeah, God is love. You see, it's His very nature. It is His very nature, and it's 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 who He is. Right? God is love. It's an attribute. It's His very nature. That's just, it's 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 a characteristic, but it's beyond the characteristic of God because it's it's. It's who he is, not necessarily what he does. On the other hand, it's also what he does because it's his nature and it's an attribute of his. Because what has he done? What has God done? He's loved us. What else has he done? He sent his son. What else has he done? He has and continues to do and will always do. Lots of stuff. He also sent us later the Holy Spirit yeah. to be our guide. Yeah, yeah. And he created everything. And it, there it is. And on what basis and out of what did he do all of that? Love. It's love. John keeps telling us over and over and over again, because I think we need to hear it, that God is love. Everything is about love. That's his nature. That's his attribute. That's what he that's what he is. So naturally everything that God does is out of love. And then he tells us to do what? Love. <laughs> do the same. Do the same. Don't you love that? I just I just absolutely love that. According to verse 8, what does it mean then for those Conversely, again, who fail to love. They don't know God. 
Here's the letter. Talking about just that group. Talking about the group that didn't love. Oh, they said it. We love God. They even acknowledged Jesus. But which Jesus? Not the Jesus that John is talking about. A Jesus of their own making. A Jesus that, to their way of thinking, didn't come in the flesh. It was a whole different kind of love that they were talking about, too. Because in their mind, they could love God in the spirit, which John called them out on. But they could hate in the flesh, and it was perfectly okay. Oh, oh wait a minute. Because we know elsewhere that scripture says that if you hate, that's as good as murder, isn't it? Yeehaw. That's, that's pretty powerful stuff. Pretty powerful stuff. Verse 9. This is how God showed us his love. Among us. Among here. You know what that word among means? And do you have a... what? You have the New King James, right? Is, is verse 9... Does, does, your, does your version have the word among us? Okay, verse 9? Verse 9. Okay. Would you read the whole thing, the whole verse 9? That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Okay. And so, uh, somebody else have a version besides the NIV? Uh, no. no? Are we in 1 John still? Or? Yes. Yeah, right. Yes. Well, read out of 1 John. Yeah, I don't think you're reading out of 1 John, Doris. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. We skipped. I, I apologize for that. We we just blew right. We flew right past the gospel, and we're back to First John. Okay. Perfect. Okay, and that's the New King James. Okay, and in the NIV reader, could you read verse nine in the NIV? This is how God showed His love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Perfect. This is how God showed us his love among us. Now, among in Heman, in the Greek, means among us, means sometimes words can get us a little confused. Because my version, the NIV that I read out of 1984, says among us, and yours says manifest. So, so here we have this, this translation issue. I think it's fun because I love words. So, so among us in the Greek, in human means in us or made manifest in and through us. Don't you like that? Okay. So you can see how the translators are struggling with this Greek word to try to put it into English where it will make sense to us. It says, so, so if, you, if, you, if we paraphrase this a little bit, this verse could say, this is how God showed us his love. In us, made manifest, even through us. Okay, we're talking about love. We're talking about love coming from where? From whom? God. Okay, love, love coming from God. And then John tells us that this is how God showed his love. In and through you. See, because if you were going to be asked that question, you would have naturally given the Sunday school answer. How does God show his love? Jesus. Because, you know, you're almost always right when you say that. Jesus. Well, that's true. But John says this is how God showed his love among us. 
made manifest in and through you. Hmm. Love. God. Love. Us. Made manifest in us. Now you start to see this distinction between the church that John is writing this letter to, talking about God's love. I think they got it in one sense. They were getting it. What they were struggling with was, how come those people left? Why did they leave? What was wrong with them? Why did this church split? You ever had those questions? It, yeah, it didn't have anything to do with the fact that they brought drums into the church. I'm, I'm confident of that. <laughs> Although I've heard people. <laughs> in fact, now Earl Brown isn't here, but just a couple of weeks ago, Earl Brown was sharing with me a, a story about way back in the day when the church had the organ and they brought the drums. And he was really struggling with how he was going to deal with that because he, he said, does it really matter? And in his spirit, he said, you know, it really doesn't matter. We're here to worship God. He said, but to this day, I would be fine without drums in church. <laughs> so I reminded him that I had a problem with that. But anyway, so verse 10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Even though we didn't love him. Hmm. So the statement, God is love, is pretty much explained by what God did. Right? And so the love John talks about here involves action. And we know that about love, don't we? Because love isn't a feeling, is it? It's not only a feeling. It has feelings associated with it, but it's not only a feeling. But I'm wondering now what those people that John was calling out as not being of us and being in the darkness... I wonder what their idea of love really was. We're going to see that in just a minute. But let's read verse 9 again. What are the two intentions of God, of God that are revealed in verse 9? Just read it to yourself quickly. What are the two intentions of God that are revealed here in this one verse? He to show us his love. Okay. And that we would live through him. Oh, 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 okay. Close. So, so there's, there's, there's two significant, one very significant doctrinal issue. The whole of the whole of your faith rests on one. He sent his only son. Okay, that's the salvation issue. Okay, there's the gospel right there. Remember, John wrote the gospel. So there's the gospel. And then he says, what else? So the one intention there in this sentence is that, hey, it's a salvation issue, it's a salvation issue, it's a salvation issue. John 3.16, right? He said there's only son. All right, it's a salvation issue. But what's the other issue? Live through him. It's a living thing. That we might live through him. What a great message for the first century church that was struggling through this split. What a great message for the 21st century church that is so influenced by the world and the society and the culture and all the stuff of the world that has, that has 
that has infiltrated the church. And, and, and those are the things that split the church today. Very common. Hmm. For living. Living how? Through him. Living how? In love. Through him. That's what he says in verse 9. Living in love through him. Is it hot in here? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Is that verse 9 or 10? Tyler. <laughs> I didn't quite get that one. <laughs> Sorry. I, I don't know. I think it turned into an incubator all of a sudden. Just all I have on. on that one, so. <laughs> so why are we supposed to live in love through him? Why? That's a good reason. Why else? Without him, we don't have the love. It's because of him that he, that you know, we have this love that he showed, showered on us. Correct. And we reciprocate them by loving others. Okay. When we okay, and we reciprocate, Marvin says, by loving others. So why do we do that? So that the love of God can be visibly seen through His children. How in the world is the rest of the world going to see the love of God manifest if it's not seen through y'all? How's that going to happen? It's by design, isn't it? God is love. Love comes from God. And then he tells us that he wants us to live in love through him. Ding, 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 ding. It starts to make a little bit more sense now, this love that John is talking about. The context, though, remember, is that John is calling out these false teachers who were indicating that they loved God. So you, it can be very confusing. They love God. But remember, they said that they loved God in the spirit. They could hate in the flesh, and it was okay, because God was on the spirit. <laughs> they were well. They were Gnostics for sure. I mean, that's what they claim too. That they love God, and yet they go around beheading people. Uh, and and and, uh, and and many a uh, many a person that doesn't have a religious affiliation of any kind would do the same, because you see, sin is sin is sin. So there's this context of. John is talking about these false teachers that are in the darkness and the people that left with them. They split the church up and they were followers of these false teachers and they're all in the darkness. So much so that they're living in their living. They, they didn't really love, did they? They certainly didn't love the church. As John calls us to, God calls us to, so they had no responsibility to that love. They had no duty. They had no compulsion to love. Which is why John is emphasizing over and over and over this love. He had to because there was pain. Because there wasn't love. And so, how then are we supposed to love? Like God. And what is that? self Sacrificial love. We have a word for that in 
Agape means self-sacrificial love. The clear difference in this self-sacrificial basis of love, what? Is that it comes from God. Oh, now we're even getting a little more separation to those that were in the church that John called out that are in the darkness because now all of a sudden there's this agape love that we're, that we're, that John is referring to and the agape is self-sacrificial as compared to what the love of these Gnostics, if you will, what was the basis of their love? Self. They forgot the sacrificial part. You see, it was self-gratification. In order to say that they loved God, they wanted that part, didn't they? But there was no self-sacrifice to it. They weren't sacrificing anything. It was what they could get. And what they got was what they wanted. They wanted to live for themselves, not for God. You see the contrast all of a sudden? John's talking about this love. Self-sacrificial love, love one another, as you had heard from the beginning, and these people that had separated from the church that John said, no, those people are in the darkness. It's about sin. It's not about love. And they're interested in their own self-gratification. Now, for some of us, that kind of is a yikes moment, because sometimes I'm also interested in my own self-gratification. I don't love the way, you know, what, Sally, I love what you said. Um, do you love like God? Sometimes. Well, I think sometimes we do. But do we always? No. Of course we don't. <laughs> of course we don't. But we're, 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 we want to, don't we? Of course. But I'm a knucklehead, and so I don't. Often. Too often. But truth be known. But he calls them out and he, and he does it in such a way that it's very, it's very clear, isn't it? Because they're not loving self-sacrificially. What did God do? Well, he sent his son. What was the whole, what was the whole <coughs> basis of, of him sending his son? Love. Complete self-sacrifice. Even Jesus, nevertheless. The first example of a complete sacrifice. Getting rid of the sacrificial system for thousands of years, even trying to teach them this. <laughs> what a bloody mess they went through. And so here comes Jesus. No, I'm going to fulfill all that. Don't worry about that anymore. Just the new covenant in my blood, he said. And so self sacrifice. There was no self gratification in that, none whatsoever. So. If their love was not from God, those people that had been separated, that John is calling out here and calling them in the darkness, they're not of us. Where did their love come from? Clearly it didn't come from God. Where did it come from? The evil one? Anybody else? From themselves? Okay. Anybody else? Good, that's good and good. Any other ideas? Transport yourself back to the first century, if you will, and John is talking about these people 
um, that were in the darkness. They weren't believers. They did not have the love of God in them. They weren't living for God. They weren't loving, clearly. They were self-gratifying in everything that they were doing, saying, thinking, and that's why they were separated from the church. And so their love came from self, without the sacrifice, okay, and self-gratification. First century... See, in the, in, in the Greek culture, there was this whole philosophical bent, wasn't there, that was, that was it, it was, well, there was the Gnostic thought, but even, even, even broader than that, paganism was very much in vogue, okay, kind of like it is today, but okay, the, the worshiping of idols was also in, in vogue, hmm. But you see, there were these Greek philosophers, many of them, and they had, they had these different bents, these Greek philosophers, and these people were trying to figure out love, and they were having a difficult time doing it, just like in today's culture, but back then it was really about Greek philosophy, because it had a metaphysical component to it, which is, which is anybody know what a metaphysical, what metaphysics are? In terms of philosophy, they had these abstract thoughts about what love was. Clearly, they weren't thinking that love came from God or that God is love because, frankly, they didn't want anything to do with God. They wanted, what, they wanted something to do with themselves. God was really not in the picture, but I find it interesting. They were in church. Isn't that interesting? They were in church. But then they wanted to do their own thing. They were seeking. Maybe. Maybe that was the modern day seeker. But they didn't find, did they? If they were seeking, if, I don't know, if they didn't find. So I, I, I think if you, if you think about this whole Greek uh, philosophical thought that was metaphysical and it was very abstract. And uh, I mean, you can think about astrology and Ouija boards and those kinds of things. And that's what they were into. And that's what that's what was. That's what they were driven by. Boy, it sounds like Ojai. I mean, really, it does. There's a lot of craziness around here in terms of these various uh, quote-unquote world religion thought process. It's quite metaphysical. I know, because a little over 20 years ago, I was sucked into some of that because I was a seeker. And that's where I learned some of these things. And yet... Compared to the absolute truth of love that was coming from God, because that's his nature, and that was, that's where all of his actions come from, that's who he is, quite simply we see that there's a difference, isn't there? The difference between God's love and man's love is self-sacrificial versus self-gratificial. <laughs> that's not a word, I don't think. Self-gratification. So that begs a few questions of us. Hmm. When did you? It's a personal question, and I'm interested in some answers. When did you first recognize God's love for you? Timmy? November 6, 1983. Hmm. Late in the morning. The moment before that, I didn't. And when you when you came 
to this realization, this recognition of God's love for you, was that in, in was that concurrent with with your understanding of, of of your sin and your need for salvation, or or did one come before the other? Was it concurrent? How did that work? One of my last feelings, thoughts was, statements was, I've done things God won't forgive. Mm-hmm. And then a moment later, I realized He would and had, and had forgiven everything I'd ever done prior to that moment. But I'm now accountable for everything I do. Wow. Hmm. Okay, so there's a there's a testimony. At that one point in time. Let me ask you to back up from that date in nineteen eighty three. Where were you before that? Spiritually. You said dead? <laughs> well, you were dead. I was uh, I was aware of a lot of spiritual oddness around me. Which I feel blessed by because it, it literally more or less scared me to Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Somebody else answer the question in a personal testimony. When did you first recognize that God loves you? As a little girl, you weren't a little boy in 1983, so it was a little later for for you. You were just a little girl. What about somebody else? When did you recognize and come to the conclusion that God loved you? When I knew who he was, because I didn't know before. So when you came to the knowledge of who he is, right. interesting, is that compared to um, knowing who he is compared to just knowing that he is? Well, I, I think knowing God is far deeper than knowing who God is. Because that that word does not appear in that verse, the word who. Yeah, that's very interesting because what this letter is about, it's about calling out those people that said that they loved God, but they hated you. Where elsewhere, what they had heard from the beginning was, you can't hate. We're called to love the church. And they were told that from the beginning. But they had flipped it around and said, oh no, we love God. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? How things can get so twisted and yet it becomes so personal as John is talking about God's love. God is love. Love comes from God. And if you don't have God's love, what have you got? You've got not love. 
according to Scripture. Well, that's really powerful because that's not a popular message. If you go out and talk to somebody that's not a believer and you say, you have not love. I mean, those are almost fighting words, aren't they? But is it true according to Scripture? I'm telling them they're going to hell. Robert, if you came to the realization that God loved you, did you come to that realization first, or did you come to the realization that you were a sinner in need of a Savior first, or was it, was it in your life, was it concurrent? Well, I came uh, to the Lord when I was 15, um, and I had had some Sunday school experience before that. I had one Sunday school teacher that I think really knew the Lord as I look back after I was a Christian who had us memorize, I think, John 2.16. And um, it was in the Methodist church, but there wasn't a strong gospel-believing Bible church at all. But uh, at 15, I, I began to realize that some of my friends who were Christians um, <coughs> Uh, had shared that Jesus uh, had saved them and they had experienced Jesus Christ as their Savior and his love for them. And I knew, uh, in fact, we were sitting around one summer evening at a Youth for Christ meeting where I was invited as a young person. And and then I heard these testimonies. I realized that I I could not say that I had any experience in, in knowing the love of Jesus personally. Uh, Jesus I knew about. Jesus, uh, God I knew about because I had been saying my prayers. I, I knew about, but I didn't really know God. But um, at that time, I, I, I began to realize that what Jesus did on the cross, after they shared that they had uh, asked Jesus to forgive their sin and believe that he loved them, and that's why he went to the cross to pay for their sin. And then he asked, they asked Jesus to save them and, and make it personal. And so that night I did. I did ask Jesus to do that. And I can remember feeling very, very drawn. And I knew that this was because of his love for me. Not that, And I realized another thing, that not only did I need forgiveness for my sin, but the pinpoint of what that sin was was my own ego and my selfishness, my my uh, being independent of God. I, I was far from connected with God at all. I was far away from God. And I was living my life and I was making trouble for myself and my family. I had three brothers and there was constant uh, friction because we, uh, you know, were at each other. And, uh, and I was probably the leader of some of that, you know, and, and the remarks that we'd say, you know, to each other. And so I experienced that Jesus loved me. And uh, that really, uh, that just really impacted my heart that uh, when my sins, when I, I, I truly acknowledged that I needed forgiveness. And then I remember the next day as I woke up and realized as I got up and I had to go down and take care of some chores with some animals that I was uh, rearing. And uh, then... Um, that things were different, and I, I couldn't. What, what's so different, you know? And I was looking around, and things looked different, and I could uh, things looked even pretty. I, I never recognized how beautiful uh, 
things were. I lived out in the country, and, and uh, the mountains were there to look at, and uh, and I just kind of gazed. And I, then I, I kind of stopped myself and said, you know, I I know what it means to be a Christian. I I knew I knew I've heard about being a Christian, but now I know what a Christian really is. And as we've been talking about the love of God, I've been thinking about uh, that experience, and then what my problem has been in, in, in that and since I've been a Christian was I, I, I get so involved in my responsibilities of what I'm supposed to do and, and I try to make connection with Jesus every day but I lose the connection that in listening to his words of love for me so I can walk live through him in his love for me, as his child, and not in the fears of my responsibilities or letting that be my uh, my uh, focus. And so, uh, hey, can we hear it for a testimony? So, so there's a testimony of God's love and the recognition of a need for a savior, uh, and and then and this. It, it, be, it became very personal, almost physical. You saw things that you had never seen before. I know many of you in here have testimonies like that. Um, and it, it does begin to change. And so for some people, it changes just like that. And for other people, it's over, it's over time. It's, it's, I, I've never heard... Everybody has a story. Never heard two that are alike. Ever. Ever. I mean, God created us unique, and we have a unique story in terms of coming to Him. And so, let me ask you this. That's a wonderful testimony from when you were 15, which I know was only like 20 years ago. <laughs> and so, so, so some years have gone by, and, and Robert, and, I, and like the rest of you to think about this too, how is that love of God impacting your life right now? I've been wrestling with that this week because I, I've been thinking... Perfect. You're God, the right I want to hear your... Jesus, I want to hear you speaking to me that you love me. <coughs> I'm not um, I'm not feeling or, or thinking that I'm really loved as much as I know you love me. <laughs> and, I, and I really want that. And uh, then I was and there's another verse in Zephaniah I was thinking about it. Zephaniah 3.17 it says, The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And when I think of that, I, 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 I this is what I've asked the Lord this week. I, I've been asking Jesus, speak to me, Lord, your words of love for me. And as I've been studying the scripture more, I've been hearing those words mm-hmm. of love for me. And it's really, I, the, it's, and, and even in that, I, I am hearing the testimony, Tim's testimony too, where it says in Ephesians that we might be rooted and grounded in love to know the love of Christ, which passes understanding, knowing the height and depth and the length and the breadth of his love. And so I want to grow in that. I want to, we're rooted, but then we grow, right? And... and, and and we just don't know that God loves us. In fact, one time I was witnessing to a, I, I, I was just cold, it was cold turkey kind of witnessing, and I think this lady walked by and she said, I said, you know, did, did you know that Jesus loves you? 
And she says, oh, that's nice. And she walked by. <laughs> and, and, like, it's okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll think about that. But she hasn't experienced Jesus' love. But if she only did that, she'd, she'd say, oh, yeah, I really do know that Jesus loves me. I really know him. Yeah, and, and, and therein lies, I think, what you were talking about, Wes, and that is um, uh, knowing of God and then come to the realization that, oh, no, I need to know God because see, he, already, he already knew you and you had to go through this process in your life, right? I know that now, yes. Yeah, you knew, but you didn't know that then. Right. Uh, so the, the questions become very important, don't they? Because that's what John is writing about. He's talking about about the love of God that we're rooted in the love of God and he says that we're to be living in that love living in that love well you've got to know what the love of God is in order to live in it mm-hmm. and so and it's really a matter of just appropriating the love that God already has for us that's who he is but so many times in the church we, we miss that don't we we miss the love of God we get busy we get distracted. We get, there's a lot of things that happen in our life and we forget about the power of this love of God and, and then we, and we miss it and we can't live in it. And if we're not living in it, oh boy, I think for some people, some people in the church that John was writing to here thought they loved God. But they didn't because they didn't they didn't know. They didn't know God. But I'm sure, I'm I'm convinced that they knew of him. That's why they were in church. They knew of him. But they there was no relationship. They didn't know him. And John is saying, God is love. If you love, it came from him. So you gotta live in that. Okay, just live in that. Verse eleven, thank you guys. Verse 11 says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Again, he tells us that we ought to love one another. Don't you think we've heard that enough? (laughs) Apparently not, right? It says that, dear friends, since. What does that mean, since? Because God loved us first. Dear friends, since, in view of the fact that God loved us first, in view of that fact, John says, that we ought to. Now, that ought to is... is you ever looked up the word ought? <laughs> it's really interesting when... Because I like words, you know that. So, I was reading this and I'm thinking, okay, so we ought... My mind was saying, no, we must. Should. Okay. Is it a... a, a, So it has a sense of command. What does the word mean? Yeah, we ought to. In some sense, there's some kind of a moral obligation of some kind. And in this case, I I would suggest to you that there's a supernatural implication to this that we that we ought to love one another supernaturally because you can't love me as a brother in Christ in your own power it's not going to happen it's impossible that's what John's talking about you can't, you can't do that on your own 
You can't do it on your own. It's impossible. So Romans 5.5, 5, the second part of 5.5, 5.5b, 5, 5, 5, which is where ought comes from, says this, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There it is, where it came from. So what is your motivation to love? That's a question. Your motivation to love is the love of God in you. Anyone else? Your motivation to love is out of obedience. Anyone else? Nobody else? Oh, come on. What's that? Oh, okay. Your motivation to love is to please God. Okay, I'm looking for one more thing. It's a command. It, okay, it's a command. We're commanded to love Him. Is it hard? Yeah, if you love God, you command. You follow His commands. Okay. All right. You do what He says. That's right. Okay. What else? Any other reason that also, you have? Also glorify. To glorify God. To please God. To go. All great answers. So we're here. So I mean. I mean, if that's not one of the motivations for us to be here, even on a Wednesday night when we could be doing almost anything else, I mean, there's something, I mean, come on, that's why we're here. And so what we're doing is we're bringing glory to God, which is not what was happening in that church is why they separated. Keep going back to that separation because the Gnostics were saying, no, you can do anything you want. And John says, no, you can't. Because if you do, you're not in the light because the love of God isn't in you. Uh, if, would you say that again, Doris? Okay, so then it's not duty, is it? No, because if love, if love is duty, what's wrong? Because what? It's not real love, is it? That's the contrast. What was going on in the church? Boy, if it's duty, you got Lucy, you got some explaining to do because it's not right. It's not right. If love is just duty, I'm wondering if that's what these Gnostic thinkers were thinking. I think so. I'm not sure, but I think so. Because they said they loved, but they didn't. Certainly didn't. Act like it. Because they said, no, I hate you, man. I do. I'm not required to love you, Carl. Forget it, dude. Not only do I hate you, I don't even like you. But I'm good with God. That's what they were saying. And so John's calling them out. Interestingly, the only self and godly biblical agape love is self-sacrifice. That's the only self that there is. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. What's the context? Why would John all of a sudden, doesn't no one has ever seen God just kind of jump out at, at you like, what? Where did that come from? Aren't we talking about love here? But he says no one has ever seen God. Where did that come from, do you suppose? In the context of an expository study here, we're looking at these verses. It's about love. And it's about what's going on in this church that had been torn apart. If God's love was in them, it would 
Okay, if God's love was in them, it wouldn't be quibbling, it wouldn't be fighting. And so he so he throws it right out there. No one has ever seen God. But wait a minute. John had seen Jesus. John had seen Jesus, okay. Okay. That's great. That's, let's follow that line for just a second because here it is. He says, hey, nobody's seen God. But John had seen Jesus. Okay. Oh, yeah, but I mean, the, I mean, the spirit was in him. This is a supernatural thing. I mean, he, this is a spirit-filled man of God proclaiming these things. He's just reiterating what they had heard from the beginning. He's not even giving them anything really new here. He's just telling them what they had heard from the very beginning. And he had been with, with Jesus. But the context of the letter is, is, is what? Love and the calling out of these false teachers. Remember, that's why he wrote the letter. If those false teachers hadn't have been there, probably the letter wouldn't have had to be written. But they were, and the church was split. Heavy hearts. People were confused and hurt and angry and all the things that you might imagine when a church splits up like this. And John says they weren't of us. And so apparently, apparently, these false teachers were claiming to have seen God. Because remember, the context is this letter is written to a particular geographic region, a church in this big geographic region, not a specific church, but the church in this geographic region. And apparently this teaching that was going on, those people were claiming, the false teachers were claiming that they had somehow or another seen God because they were talking about doing all the things that they were doing in the spirit, okay, justifying their life in the flesh. They weren't living for God in the flesh. So they put it all up here on the spirit side. Well, I, you know, I don't know about you, but there are certain things that I, I know about, but I don't see. I don't, I've never seen God. But it would appear as though they were claiming to have seen God because otherwise John's statement here, nobody has ever seen God, wouldn't make any sense. Why would you just say that? The interesting thing is, that's not what we're told. And I kind of hate to speculate. But it does make sense. And it is interesting. But look at where John goes from here. He stays with this power of love thing and he doesn't go anywhere else. Where else could have John gone when he said that no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. Again and again and again, he tells us God lives in us. And our love is, and his love is made complete in us. Where else could he have gone with that? Complete. His love is made complete in us. You got a few minutes. Turn to turn to back to the Gospel of John, first chapter, the eighteenth verse. John one eighteen. And look at what John says about seeing God. Because Olivia, you're onto it. This is theologian Olivia, everyone. So somebody read John 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God. What? No one has ever seen God. Wait! Are you in John or 1 John? That's true. Oh, okay, so the same guy wrote both those, didn't he? Okay, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, 
has made him known. Whoa, Olivia. Did you read that? Yeah, John. John was hanging with Jesus, wasn't he? What does this say? No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Do you see the different contexts in these two verses? The one in John 1.18 and the one in 1 John 4.12? The statement, no one has ever seen God. John, the author, through the power of the Spirit, writing this. The context in 1 John is, love one another. That's what we're reading here. It's no one seeing God, but love one another as Christ is in you and his love is made complete right here, right now. Because that was the question that was asked just a little while ago. What is the love of God doing in your life right now? See, they were confronted with this in the first century, just like we are right now. What is the love of God doing in your life right now? How is it manifesting? How is it making a difference? Where are you with God in his love that he is love and it's manifesting you and you're to be living in it right now? And the context in the Gospel of John is he's talking about what? The deity of Jesus Christ. He uses this. I love how scripture ties these things together. He's using the same statement. It is a statement. No one has seen God. And in the one hand, he ties that into the context of these people that are being told, oh, just love one another. Just love one another. In the other context, in the Gospel of John, he's using it to make that real firm statement that Jesus Christ is God. And Olivia, John was hanging out with him. Wow. That raises a whole lot of other interesting questions for us that we could explore for a while. We're not going to, but we sure could, couldn't we? And I think you can see the urgency in John's letter now concerning the church. That's us. And making sure that you're in the light. Because that's what he was concerned about. Loving God. Being in the light. Knowing that love comes from God. And if you have the love of God in you, you will live in that. Because he'd already separated those people in this letter that weren't there. They weren't living in God's love. They weren't living for God. The purpose of their love, their motivation, had nothing to do with the answers that you all just identified. To bring glory to God. To be pleasing to God. To all of those. That's what the people in the light were doing. John's talking about. But not in the darkness. And finally, verse 13, he says, We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we, that's a different we, because the we in verse 13, we, that's y'all, that's y'all, okay? Y'all know that, we're, that we live in him. The second we in verse 14, it says, and we, the key here is the next two words, have seen, okay? That's John again, Olivia. 
we've seen Jesus and we testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. That was a beautiful message there, isn't there? John and those that were with him were the eyewitnesses that we know all about. And then he says, if anybody acknowledges, that's confessed, that, that Jesus is the Son of God, lives in him. God lives in him. God lives in him. And he in God. So if you check out this whole section that we've been reading here, these 21 verses, it's really all about the fellowship with God, being in the light. All of it is built on Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that this whole thing is about Jesus? Hmm. But John wrote this letter because there was a group in the church that was saying, no, it's not. It's about us. Contrast. Listen, man, it either needs to be about Jesus or it needs to be about you. And if it's about you, you're in the darkness. If it's about Jesus, you're in the light. It's simple, isn't it? It is. It's not that complicated, really. I mean, really. Uh, however, it's profound. Because I wonder how many people, as the scribe was reading the scroll, were having to ask themselves, oh, but what about the love of Christ? Am I even in Christ? Because a lot of them weren't. That's why John wrote the letter. Wow. So as we are going through this process of reading and trying to understand this letter, and as last month we were reading and trying to memorize, now each one of us is going to stand up and recite the memory verse from last month, because I know you haven't started on this month yet. <laughs> Just kidding. But as we see that we're renewing our minds and we're getting into the Word of God and we're getting the Word of God into us and we learn and we see that it's about Jesus, it's about love, it's about love, it's about love, it's about love, God's love, self-sacrificially for us, and then we're supposed to love that way, right? The question comes to my mind, does faith I think of you sometimes when I think about this. Does faith lead to knowledge or does knowledge lead to faith? I think it could be either way. We have one that says that she thinks it can be either way. What do you mean by that? The Spirit and God Anybody have a testimony on that? Did you come to faith through knowledge? Or did you come to knowledge through faith? I think they grow together as we grow in Christ. Okay, they certainly can. Well, doesn't he say that? In every person, it's written in our hearts that we have a maker, you know, whether it's an Indian or whatever. So we have that, I don't know what you want to call it, intellectual knowledge. That they <coughs> but it's only through going through the personal experience of knowing 
provided what he has done for you. You come to that faith saving factor, grace saving factor that he is who he is. I love the question because in 1 John 4, 16, the 16th verse, we'll skip down one. It says, and we have known, I'm going to read it out of the New King James. Doris will be happy about that. In the, in the King James Version, it says in verse 16, chapter 4, and we have known and believed, we have known and believed the love of God, that, um, the love that God has for us. Just stop there. But in John 6, 69, back to the Gospel of John, keep your finger there, you don't have to, go, you don't have to turn there. It says in John 4:16, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. But in John 6:69 it says, we have come to believe and we know. Yeah, either way. I mean, come on, there's lots of people that have lots of tests. That's my own personal testimony as a seeker. For 3 years I was seeking, going all the wrong way. Never wanted to come to Christ because Christianity was the only thing that I thought I knew something about, and I wanted nothing to do with it. That's why I went down the metaphysical route, and the, you know, I went all those different directions, trying to figure out what this life was all about because mine was a mess, right? So my own personal testimony is about seeking knowledge. That's all it was about. It was an intellectual ascent to try to figure out what the world is going on here. Because I didn't, I came to the realization I didn't have it figured out. So I went the knowledge to faith route. Whoa! And when the faith hit, it was like a ton of bricks. I know other people that just, and this bothered me for the first ten years of my Christian walk. I have a very good friend that just came to faith, bam, just like that, like a little child. Oh, I believe. And then his knowledge has been growing ever since. He's been a Christian for 50 years and his knowledge has been growing ever since. But he came to faith, bam, just like that. And I, was, I told him I'm jealous. It's like I had to work so hard. You know? and God just, just racked me over the coals until I got there. You know. We appreciate that you're still working. Right? <laughs> and we are, aren't we? Aren't we all working on it? So I think we have a testimony on, on that. And so as we... I, I want to finish this because we have like four minutes. And I, I just want to read something in summarizing these 21 verses. Written by a gentleman by the name of Glenn Barker. And it summarizes it in, in way better than anybody I've ever, I've ever read. And certainly way better than I could. And, and this guy is speaking specifically of, of one verse. But really this whole section. The one verse is... And this is the one that we use around here at this church on a regular basis. We love because he first loved us. Don't we thank God regularly for loving us first? So listen to what he says about that and about this section. God is love. He says, in summarizing the command to love one's brother... John's epistle begins with the most important truth. Love must never be conceived of as a natural experience of the natural man. There is such a natural love, but it must never be confused with the divine agape love. The love scripture speaks of originates with the Father. It became manifest in and through the Son 
Notice who it is. And now characterizes the life of the children of God. Therefore, John brings this summary by saying, begins this summary by saying, we love. Although the, gr although the Greek verb form expresses either exhortation or description, here it is better understood as description. As the Father loves, as the Son loves, so also we will love. The love with which we love is not our own. We do not create it, nor do we even have the power to express it. It is always God's love, or Jesus' love in us. But because we abide in the Father and in the Son, the love becomes also our own love. He finishes with this. It is not that God reveals his love apart from us, or even in spite of us, but that he invites us to love even as he loves. So when we return to him, his own love, and love him with the gift of his love, so also we love our brother with the love God has loved us with. I read that about ten times over the last few days. And I thought, wow, that just kind of sums it all up for me. It's a summary of all these words from a contemporary theologian that's just talking about God's love. And these truths about God's love, they are written. Amen? Amen. It's written. It is written. And so because of that, because it is written, then we're really compelled, aren't we, to bring glory to God to then just go ahead and let's just be doers of that love. That's all he's calling us to, is just to be doers of that love and not deceive ourselves by just hearing it. Because in this church, not this one, the one that he's talking about in this letter, there were those that were living it and there, there are those that were deceived because they were just hearing. We're just called to be doers because we already understand and have <coughs> the love of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that it is written, it is inspired, it is the truth. Thank you, God, that you loved us first, God, and that you give us the power to love. Without you, we, we can do nothing, and without love, we are nothing. So I pray, God, that we would allow this just to settle into our hearts, that we would meditate on this, on this truth, these truths from Your Word. That, uh, Lord, that You would, You would help us to see and understand how to love one another. Mm -hmm. That it would be so attractive. That it would be uh, like we've heard recently, like the ornament, God, that it, that adorns um, everything. Everything that we do, everything that we are, because it all comes from you. It's a profound truth. It's very simple, Lord. Um, and yet it can be very difficult to do sometimes, and we need your help. So we ask for that tonight. 
And we thank you for loving us first the way you do. And then teaching us, Holy Spirit, how to do that. So thank you, Lord, for who you are. What you mean to us. What you've done for us. And that everything that you do is rooted in your love. Because, God, you are love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.